Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Y'all really do worship good. You just, you, you worship just beautifully well. Pray that this top doesn't come off and the whole thing goes up. There we go. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to dive in. And we're going to do, um, really, just kind of launch out of one verse today, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Many of you are probably familiar with the, the verse that we're going to read, John chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 10, and we're going we're gonna to stop there. So what I want to launch from, Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life or may have life and have it abundantly. It's not going to come up on the screen, so uh, don't try to advance the slide. But I want to go to verse 11. It says this, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for, for the sheep. Now, here's, here's what I want you to be captured by in those verses. verses. The verses before you get to verse 10, verses 1 through, uh, one through 5, Jesus is, is communicating. He's trying to help people understand what it means to be a sheep in his fold, one of his special sheep that he's the good shepherd toward. And you get to verse 6, and it, the Bible says people did not understand what Jesus was saying. They did not get it. And so Jesus changes kind of his analogy, and he starts teaching about thieves and robbers. And he says in John 10.10, 10, the thief, what the thief comes to do is to steal and kill and destroy. Does anybody other than me feel like the first half of John 10.10 10, could be the theme verse for 2020. It has been, it has been just uh, an unbelievable, you know, six months. But now remember the good news, the end of the verse. That's what the thief came to do. Jesus said he has come, he came, so that we might have life and have it abundantly. I read a New York Times op-ed piece, uh, it's been about two weeks ago now, um, a columnist named Michelle Goldberg, in her column, she pointed out something that just like blew my mind. She said this, she said, in the, the first six months of this year, five and a half really, first five and a half months of this year, I guess when she wrote it, it was five months, um, but we relived some of the most traumatic events from the 20th century, from the 1900s. And in, in, in just that short period of time, we have relived some of the incredible trauma from, from the, the, the 1900s. In, in January of, of this year, even though that seems like a lifetime ago, do you all remember the impeachment trials? They, they, they seem like, you know, like that, that was you know, a lifetime ago. But we replayed that, that happened back in 1974. 
And so our country was drugged through that, that pain, that confusion, that battle of, of, of parties, if you would. February and March, we experienced a global pandemic greater in proportion than the Spanish flu of 1918. I mean, proportionately across the world. In April and May, then came the wave of economic devastation. Uh, you know, we, we relived the, the great crash of 1929. And on the heels of that, massive unemployment, which has overtaken our, our land again. In May and June, we have been reliving the unrest of the racial struggle of the 60s. And we, we witnessed the rapid-fire succession of Ahmed Aubrey and, uh, and, and George Floyd being, being murdered. And the protests and the violence that took place after that. Thus far... 2020 has been a, I mean, I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like my, all of my senses have been under some kind of assault. I, that's, that's just kind of the feeling. And it, it, it has actually begun to challenge our capacity to live together on this planet, in, in this nation. And through it all, there has been incredible loss. There's been a national loss of trust. There's been a loss of financial stability. There's been a loss of human dignity and decency. There's been a loss of, of civility. There's been a loss of dreams. There's been a loss of hope. I mean, th this past week, I don't know how it made you feel, but I lost a little bit of hope when our COVID numbers in our state started doubling again instead of going the other way. I mean, there, there's just been so much loss. So how do we, how do we deal with, with all this loss? You know, it doesn't matter if it was loss of a, of a first world issue like, I don't get to go to my favorite restaurant yet. You know, it's loss. Or all the way up to someone tragically losing a child because of this pandemic. Now, if you're here today and you're one of the few people who have felt you know, completely untouched by all those events of the last six months. Um, I need our medical team to show up and check your pulse. Uh, because I don't, there's got to be something wrong with you if you didn't, didn't feel that in some way. You know? If you didn't, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news whether you're here, you know, on campus or, you know, there online. But the truth is... We're all going to one day experience major loss in this life. If you haven't already, you're going to, unless Jesus returns very soon, which I find myself praying for more these days than I used to. See, in other words, and, and this is really my first point today, um, is this. In this life, the experience of the loss is inescapable. You cannot go through this life and escape experience loss. And here's why. There is no life without change happening. And there is no change, even if it's good change, without experience some kind of loss. And there is no loss without some kind of pain being attached to this. Now, let me just unpack this for a second. All, all living things change. 
The only things that don't really change are dead things. Now, I know they rot and decay, but um, as far as changing, growing, they, they don't. So if you're alive, part of your life experience is going to be, you're going to go through, through change. The things around you change. I mean, they've been changing like crazy around us, haven't they? The things inside you change as you respond to the changes around you. And, and there is never a, a, a change that happens where you don't experience some kind of loss. Because even in, in a good change, you have to let go of something back here that made a difference in your life to get to the new thing. You still experience some level of loss. Last week we talked about, you know, God said, I'm doing a new thing, but you got to let go of the past. You can't live in the past. So there, there's some loss. And the truth is, we're losing things all the time. And I'm not just talking about my car keys or your, your phone, you know. I'm talking about some real things. Th- hundreds and, and, and thousands of things. In, you can lose your health. You can, you can lose a job. You can lose a friend. You, you can lose your finances. Just, again, uh, hundreds, thousands of things that in this life you, you can lose. And, again, there's always pain attached to it because we don't like to lose things, and we don't like to lose people that we love. And so there's, there's no loss without pain, no, none. And we all experience it when, when something is, is being lost. When, when relationships change, we experience some loss. And that, that loss brings pain. Now, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how to do this well. Um, and I'm sorry if you're hearing this for the very first time. We've tried everything we knew how to, to, to share this out there. But our church is in the middle, on the front end, middle kind of, edge of experience relational loss as Pastor Terry and his family are leaving us today for the upstate. And his ministry here is is leaving and God is moving them. And each and every one of us who have been connected to them will experience some some level of loss. For some it's gonna be it's gonna be massive. It's gonna create an incredible ache. It there's gonna be pain. And it's something that is being lost. And we need, to, we need to understand that. And God, your God, the good God that we were singing about this morning, he knew that. He knew that we would experience loss. He never intended it. That was never God's intent. Loss entered the world when sin came. That's when loss entered the world. But God, knowing that loss would come and it would bring great pain, God God has provided a way for us to deal with the pain of loss. God has given us a gift, and it's called the gift of grief. Now, many of you know, the, you, you could spout out the five stages, denial and anger and bargaining and depression and accept. I almost forgot them. Um, you know, you, you, many of us are acquainted with those. And that's not really what I want to focus on today. I'm not going to go through those five things. You can go online and read all kinds of stuff about it. Here's what I want to focus on. And it's really the second point of my message today, and it's this. Grief is God's grace. Grief is God's grace for overcoming our pain and loss. 
Now, though pain and loss is inescapable, grief is something you have to choose to go through, to step into. You, you have to choose to receive God's grace everywhere in your life. He will not bully you with his grace. You have to choose to receive God's grace. Now, when I mention grief, most people, you know, they just run to a funeral automatically. They think grief is only something that happens, you know, in the loss of a loved one. That grief is just for when somebody, when somebody dies. And fr- friends, there's far more to life and loss and grief than just that kind of loss. Yes, that's a, a huge part of it, but that's not all. Now, here's the interesting thing to me, and I think it's because people don't realize it's God's grace. People try to avoid grief altogether. They kind of, there's this thought, why in the world would I ever want to feel grief? Well, I'll tell you why you want to feel grief. Because in the hand of God, your grief can be an incredible tool to help you grow spiritually. In the hand of a loving God, grief can just bring power to your life. Now, first, it's going to be unpleasant. And that's why people try to avoid it. They, they stuff it down. They, they just they, they try to push it, they put their head down and just try to bull their way through it. Please, please hear me on this. That, that alone is the cause of so much human pain and suffering. So much human pain is because of unresolved, unmourned loss. It, it just, it, it's there. there. There are things that happen to you as a child. There are things that happen to you in school. There are things that happen to you as a young adult in college. There are things that have happened to you in your marriage. And you've never grieved over some of those things. And you're going to have to grieve it. This is, if you don't grieve it, you'll never get over it. Well, the truth is you'll never get over it. You can only get, get through it. And here's the problem. When you, whatever the event was, when that occurred and you haven't grieved it, you're stuck there. Now, you may grow and go, you know, uh, vocationally, educationally, but emotionally you're going to be stuck there. You, you may be 42 years old, but emotionally you're a 12-year-old. And if you don't step into God's grace of grief, you're going to be wrecked. And some of you right now have heard the Holy Spirit kind of tweak your heart and say, no wonder I act like I'm 12. Because you're, you're stuck. And you need to step into God's grace. So please don't run out of the room. Please don't check out, you know, mentally. God, in his great mercy and love, has something for you from his word. Because grief is God's grace for you. It's his gift to help you overcome the pain of loss. So, in the hand of God, grief is a good thing. Now, I didn't say good grief. You know, it's not a Charlie Brown commercial or anything like that. It's, grief in, in God's hand can be a good thing. In, in fact... Grief is the only real, good, healthy response to facing loss. Would you agree with me that, that Jesus never did anything wrong? Hands? Okay. W- would you agree with me that he never sinned, never did any evil? 
Okay? The Bible's real clear about that. Jesus never did anything unhealthy. But did you know that Jesus grieved? Jesus grieved. The Bible tells us his grief led him to weeping. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows. We know from from John chapter 11 that when his dear friend Lazarus died, the Bible says Jesus grieved. He wept. He he sobbed. That that word there that's translated wept, I mean, he, he sobbed. We read about it in John 11, verses 33 and following. It says this, when Jesus saw that Mary and the people with her were crying, he was terribly upset. Jesus started crying, and the people said, see how much he loved Lazarus. Now, please get this. Jesus started crying. Friends, sadness is not weakness. Actually, I believe this with my whole heart. Weak men, they're afraid of showing their emotions. Weak men are afraid to cry. Weak men are afraid to get emotional. I truly believe the stronger you are, the more confident you are in who you are, the more that you'll not be afraid to show your emotions. See, choosing to enter into grieving is following in the footsteps of Jesus. We're told in the scriptures to do that, to follow in his footsteps. See, grieving is God's pathway of grace to overcoming, getting through loss. It is most helpful. You know, you know what's most harmful? There are two things that I think are most harmful when it comes to the pain of loss. The first one is repression, and the second one is suppression. Repression is when I unconsciously try to stuff down my emotions. Try not to let something painful come to mind. Suppression is when I try to do it consciously. I, t- I intentionally say, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to think about it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to press on. In my own life and in the lives of other people that God has allowed me to walk with through some, some pain, here's what I've discovered Repression and suppression, when not checked, will lead to deception and eventually oppression. I'm going to say that again. Repression and suppression will eventually lead to deception and oppression. And that's one of the reasons so many believers, people who have trusted Jesus, look no different than the world. It's because they're living under a, a, a yoke of, of oppression. And that's not Jesus' plan for, for your life. It's a, it's a huge mistake not to grieve your losses. It is a gift from God to get us through every painful transition in life. And every transition in life has pain attached to it. How many of you are empty nesters? Maybe fairly recently. Maybe some of you are empty nesters and it's been a long time since your kids have lived with you, but you may still feel the grief of that. You know, there was a life transition that came with, came with loss and you experienced grief. And not to grieve that loss, not, not to grieve that, is to miss out on God's grace. See, God's grace is the only thing that's sufficient to move you through those transitions. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells you this, my 
my, this is Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul went to him and said, I'm, I'm struggling, I got some pain. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power will be made perfect in this in you. And this is something that we, we've got a champion for one another. We've got a champion for one another to, to process through grief. Now, please hear me say this, please. I did not say nag. I have watched one person try to nag somebody into grieving the way they grieved. That is not helpful, okay? Everybody's going to do it a little differently. What I said was champion this. you got to champion this. Hebrews 12, 15 tells us, look after. didn't say, you know, make them. It said, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Grief is a grace of God. It goes on to say this, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. What that verse is saying is if I don't let it out in healthy ways, I'm going I'm to act it out in unhealthy ways, in destructive ways. And we see this all the time. People reach their adulthoods living in all kinds of brokenness because they never grieved. Never grieved over an alcoholic parent. Never grieved over an unloving or or, or, or rage-filled parent. Never never grieved over the mistreatment or emotional trauma or or physical trauma. Never grieved the the emotions attached to experiencing prejudice and bigotry at school. Never grieved. See, the pain created in those moments has to find a way into God's grace to be healed. And his grace is grief. It's God's, it's God's pathway. And interestingly, not only is it a pathway to healing, it is actually a pathway to intimacy with God. And this is my third point. Because God, the Bible tells us, is with me in my grief. You know, the Bible, the Bible tells us that one of the names for Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with you in your grief. The, 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 great, the, the greatest part of the gift of grief is that the gift giver always comes with it. He always comes with this gift, with this grace of grief. Psalm 34 tells us this, the Lord, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in in spirit. Friends, the whole capacity that you have to grieve comes from God because God grieves. Because he's a God with emotion. He gave you emotion. It is a gift from him because you're created in his image. God God has emotions. God God grieves. The Bible tells us this is true of God. So here's here's really what's going on. When you just put your head down and say, I'm just going to push my way through this pain. I'm just going to stuff it. I'm just going to live in denial. Here's what you're doing. You are living in denial, but mostly what you're denying is not the loss. Mostly what you're denying is the image of God in you. That's what you're really denying. And and you know this, right? The first stage of grief is what? Denial. 
This is the place so many people get stuck. And here's why I believe. There is nothing that God wants, that Satan wants more than for you to deny the image of God in yourself. And when you live in denial, in that stage of grief, the greatest thing that you are denying is the image of God in you to grieve. Satan loves to come and kill and steal and destroy. But the, things he, the thing he loves to destroy most is the image of God in each other. He'll do everything he can to just tear that out of the human mind. And we lose respect for human beings. We, we lose uh, human dignity towards one another w- w- when that takes place. And we all know that's, that's the stage that so many people get stuck in. And so we've got to help one another, as the scriptures tells us. We've got to help one another find God's grace through grief. And that leads to something else that God's word tells us about grief. Biblical community is God's place for healing through grief. Biblical community is God's place. The space that God has created, the the hospital, if you would, for the gift of grace to work. How many of you have heard uh, the phrase around here before, we're better together? You ever heard that? We, we did a whole kind of church-wide deal on that years ago. We're, we're better together. Well, here's one of the main reasons that we're better together. Because we get better together. This is one of the ways places healing takes place. The Bible tells us this. It's one of the reasons we have to confess our sin to one another so that, so that healing comes. God's word tells us this in Galatians 6 too. It tells us to carry one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What, what that means is, is when you're in pain, I'm supposed to come and, and help. You carry that. And when I'm in pain, you're supposed to come and help me carry that. You're supposed to do that for one another. Back in, back in March of 2019, I, I was just kind of wrestling with some things. Didn't really know what it was. I, I just knew how I felt. And I talked to a couple of friends, and they, they, they talked to me. And they said, it, it sounds like you're experiencing grief. And... I processed that for a little bit and came to the conclusion they were correct. And so I went to see a counselor, a Christian counselor, last March. And he walked me through my grief. He gave me some skills because it it was kind of like capturing all of my thought life and all of my time. And I didn't feel like I was, I just felt like I was stuck in a mire. And I... I came back, and I, 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 had, I had already told the elders what was going on, and they prayed with me, and they walked with me, and they checked on me. They, they helped me carry that, that burden because that's what we do for one another. But if you don't let anybody know, well, let me say this. If you don't have biblical community, the person sitting on the other side of this room is not going to know. You have got to get connected to some other believers in a, in a smaller setting than, than something like this 
in order for them to, to know that you have a burden so that they can help you carry it. See, we, we need that. And when, when any of us are in grief, we need to help each other carry that and support each other. I love the way the Amplified Version translates Romans twelve fifteen. It says this. You'll be familiar with the verse. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. And, and again, let, let me just add some very practical counsel to sharing somebody's grief. The greater, the bigger the loss, the fewer the words you need to bring to them. If somebody loses their child, my coming to them and saying, I think I understand what you're feeling. You know, remember I lost my mom a while back. Friends, that will not help them. The bigger the pain of loss, the fewer the words. What they need in that moment is for you to be with them in big ways. You need to serve them in big ways. Serve other needs that they have. Continue to be with them over time. Continue to check back with them. And that leads to the fifth thing that God's word tells us about grief. Time is an essential ingredient in healing through losses in life. Time is. Overcoming pain will not happen quickly. There's not, grief is not a Disney World ride. You don't get a fast pass for grief. It it, it takes time to, to process through it. And grief never works on our timetable. It, it, it just doesn't. One of the great mistakes with, with grief is trying to rush it so you can get over it. And again, you won't ever get over it. You can get through it with the grace of God, but you'll, you'll never get over it. Grace is, grace is patient because God is patient. So quit trying to get over it and, and decide, I'm going to go through it with God. I'm going to let time do its, its work here. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us something really incredible about uh, grief. It says this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And what that verse reminds me of is that there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. There are going to be parties and then there are going to be pits that we fall in. Both, both of those are legitimate parts of life. But the thing that, that we need to be, I think, grabbed hold of by is the word season. That word season. Because grief is a season. Grief is not a day. Grief is not a week. In the Bible, you, you will come across a phrase frequently. Um, it, it, it'll talk about, it'll have this phrase, a, a time of mourning. Not, it's the morning with a U, not, you know, when the sun comes up. But there's a, a time of mourning. Anybody remember how long the entire nation mourned the death of Moses? It was 30 days. 
It was, it was a month that they mourned the death of Moses. See, there is this huge part of me that really just wants to, to, to kind of camp here because the great temptation by the great tempter is that we want to fix this thing and get on. And there's no, there's no you know, fix it fast deal. That, that is a temptation from the enemy. And if you give into it, I promise you, it will derail your healing. And then you're going to have to go back to it anyway. So you might as well go slowly through it the first time. That's why God in his word, God gives us another part of this gift of grace. And it's a word that we're not familiar with much these days. It's the word lament. I want to come back to that word in just a minute. Because in my own journey through grief, it was something I had to learn. I had, nobody had ever sat me down and trained me in the proper, you know, skill set of lamenting. It's just, it's a special way of crying out to God. It, and it keeps your grief moving, moving forward. Here's what I walked away as I started learning how to lament. That I, I came to understand this. Lamenting is the lubrication that keeps grieving in motion. That's what lamenting became for me. It was this, this lubricant that kept the, kept the skids of grief from stopping, from getting stuck. It kept it, it, kept it moving when I could pour out my grief before, for the Lord. And it was a skill that I had to develop. And that's, that's what I want to do in just a few moments that we have left together. I want to I walk you through some of the, 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 the habits or uh, if, tools, if you would, skill sets that help people move forward in grieving, just, just real quickly. And most of these come from the counselor I saw. And, uh, and let me just say this. If you try to do these all solo, that's how you're going to end up solo. Do not try to walk through these things solo. You need, you need the company of people around you. Here's the first thing that I want to, and let me say this, uh, because I've talked about Christian counselors. If you feel like you need help in that, we have some great Christian counselors here in our, our, our counseling center, and they would love to help you walk through this, help you develop skills to, 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 to really step into God's grace, but you've got to involve some other people. Here's the first skill that I, I want you to, this one, this one was huge for me. Make a list of what you've lost. He, he told me on my phone, keep a running list of what I've lost because once you get started really walking into loss, the Holy Spirit will start revealing other things, other places, other points on your lifeline where you have experienced loss. And he wants to cleanse you. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. So I heal through my grief when I can list out my, my loss. And if you ever get to where you really want to see some beauty of that, man, you've got to read the Psalms. See, on this journey of healing, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal these things to you. I've got a question for you that I want to, and, and I do, this is one of those questions I want, I want you to raise your hand on. Even if you're at home, raise your hand. 
how many of you would like to receive more of the blessing of God in your life? Anybody? Okay. I think it's most everybody. I don't think anybody would turn down uh, the, the blessing of God. Matthew chapter 5, in the greatest sermon ever given, Jesus tells us some of the ways we receive the blessing of God. And in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 5, it says this, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What Jesus is saying is that grief is one of the keys that unlocks the blessing of God. It unlocks the blessing of being, being comforted. And, and here's the problem. Most of us want to cover over our losses. We, we just want to, you know, we want to bury them, throw something on top of them. And when we do that, we miss out on the blessings of God. What, God is, what Jesus is saying here is those who mourn, they count. They, they make a list. They count out that they are mourning. They, they, they know that. So one of the first things you've got to do is start making a list of, of your loss. Because all of us have some unmourned, unresolved loss in our lives. And here's what the, now you're saying, oh, well, Joe, that's, that's horrible news. Here's the good news. If you have some unmourned, unresolved loss in your life, there's a whole much more blessing available to you. See, that's the good news of it. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you've got things to mourn, you're going to get more of the blessing of God. But if you keep stuffing it down, it's going to tear you up from the inside out. You know, doctors will tell you that. If you keep stuffing, if you keep, what, what's the, if you keep eating your feelings, it'll kill you from the inside out. You, you've, got, you've got to release those. But here's what, here's what so many people stop because of, because of uh, uh, a fear. They, they have this fear. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that's probably very familiar, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture, but I would like for you to try to hear it and maybe read it like you're doing it for the very first time, okay? It, it's Psalm 23, and it's verse 4, and it says this, even though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. Now, again, I want you to look at this. this even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. Now, here's the deal. You're, you're walking through it. And walking, walking indicates that there's, there's a journey going on. You're not staying stuck there. The only way you stay stuck is if you never take the walk. So you walk through this, this valley, through, through this shadow, and you will come out on the other side. One of the reasons many Christians never grow in their faith and they stay stuck in, in their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups is because they never start taking the walk. They, they won't take this walk through, through that valley. I also want you to notice the word shadow. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not death, it's just, it's shadows. How many of you remember being a kid, maybe gone camping or something like that, and you're somewhere where there are shadows? And one of the things that happens to shadows oftentimes is they, they're bigger than life. 
They're bigger than what you know. They're they're kind of imaging, if you would. And so when you're when you're a child, they're they're scary. I don't know if you realize this, but Psalms 23 is one of those victory psalms because of where where you end up. You end up with God. You end up in the presence of the Lord. So you don't have to be afraid to list your losses. Instead, you could do something with them. And that something is to lament. I told you we were coming back to this. Because I heal through grief when I lament the loss courageously. When I will, when I will work into enough courage to begin this journey into, into to lamenting. And again, it's not a frequently used word, but it's an important word in the Bible. It was important enough that God named a whole book of the Bible after it. And lamenting is just simply expressing grief to God. I cry out. I, I, I cry out to God. I, I may shout. I may, I may weep. I may yell. But it is, it is a passionate expression to God. And it is an act of worship. You know, lamenting is, is an incredible act of worship. How many of you are good at complaining sometimes? Okay? Quit nudging people. Don't, quit, quit elbowing. I saw you elbowing. If you can complain, you can lament because that's all lamenting is. It is complaining to God. Now, complaining to God is worship. Complaining about God is rebellion. Satan will tempt you to complain about God. But it's great to complain to God. One of, there are many of these. But one of the great chapters in the book of Psalms of, of lamenting is Psalm 88. Now, King David did a lot, of, a lot of lamenting. And there are some great psalms by him. But I've never been a king so I liked it when I came across this psalm, just kind of a common, ordinary dude I didn't even know. His name was Haman. Um, there was a cartoon when I was a kid called He-Man. It's actually how you spell it, He-Man. And I, I kind of think this is interesting, you know, to actually call his name that way. So that's how I think of the guy who, who wrote this. Psalms 88 is this incredible, gut-wrenching lament, complaining, crying out to God. And at the very end, it's kind of like this dude is at the pinnacle of pain uh, in, in verse 18. And it closes this way. Darkness, verse 18, is my closest friend. I mean, that's complaining. That's getting right down to it with God. Dark, you, you, you've taken my, my companions away. And right now, my best friend is darkness, God. That's, that's an Old Testament lament. In the, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, in the, ni- in the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation, there's an interesting lament going on there. And the Bible tells us that martyrs who are under the altar of God, they begin crying out to God, and it says they cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. They're, they're not complaining about God, they're complaining to God. O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long? How long before you judge and avenge? God, how long? They're in the very presence of God in heaven lamenting. You know, it's interesting to me that one of the the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, God, would you bring what's up there down here? Up there under the altar, they're, they're lamenting. 
it needs to be brought down here in, into our lives. One of the things I pray, I pray that as you watch the news, as you, as you watched the death of George Floyd, that you lamented, that you cried out to God. And if you haven't, if you didn't experience loss watching that, if you didn't go through grief over that, you need to, you need to go to God and, and just lament. You need to cry out, oh, sovereign Lord, how much longer? How much longer do, do, do human beings have to endure this? L- lamenting, because it will bring healing. Another thing that brings healing from the pain of loss is when I release. When I release, I heal through my grief when I release two things, and they're these, regrets and resentments. Once you start making your list of loss, you're going to hit two walls. One of those walls is going to be the wall of, of regret because you're going to look at your list and think, I have made some stupid choices that got me in this mess. And you're going to start living with regret. I, I said the S word, didn't I? I'm sorry. Um, I shouldn't have said that word <laughs> with kids in here. Um, I don't forget what I was saying. Oh, regret. Yeah. Your choices, you're going to realize, and you're going to, you're going to, regret's going to come to mind, and it's going to overwhelm you. The other word, the other wall you're going to hit is resentment, because when you do your list of loss, you're going to realize there are some things that other people have done to you that brought the loss that you're living with now. And so you're going to want to start living in regret and resentment. And they're destructive, they become tremendous tools in the hand of the enemy. And, and what happens is you start getting angry, which is another stage of grief that people get stuck in. And God's word is so instructive here. I want you to listen to this from both the Old and New Testament. Psalm 55 says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. When you come to those regrets and when you come to those resentments and they start to take hold, they start to take root in your heart, and please trust me, they will. They will try their best to to, to dig into your heart. When they start to do that, what you've got to do is you've got to cast them onto the Lord. Now, the reason the Bible says cast instead of just kind of slip them across the table, because if all you do is just kind of slide them across the table with God, you know what's easy to do? Give me that back. We, we, the Bible says you got to cast it. Now, they will come back. you got to cast them again. They'll come back. You gotta, anybody out there ever cast like a shrimping net? The first time you cast it, it was a nightmare, wasn't it? Did you get tangled up in it like I did? I mean, it, it's, it can be a nightmare. The more you do it, the more you cast it, the more it lands where you want it to. And when you cast your cares upon God and you keep practicing that casting, it won't come back. It, it, it eventually won't come back. So you just got to keep, keep, keep casting. As soon as it comes, cast it. As soon as it comes up, cast it back to God. And here's the last thing you got to do. You got to recall God's incredible love for you. See, I heal through my grief when I recall God's incredible love for me. I cast my care on Jesus, the Bible says, because he cares for me. He takes my regrets. He he takes them on himself. He takes those resentments. Because my heart is broken 
by those, and I need healing. And so I have to draw near to God. Psalm, Psalm 103 says this, the Lord is tender and compassionate. He's a tender, compassionate father to his children. That, that's, that's what God is like. He's like a tender, compassionate father. Some of you say, well, I don't have a point of reference for that. My dad wasn't tender, compassionate. God is. God is. He's a tender, compassionate father. When we come to God, when you come to God and say, God, I'm hurting. God, I, I'm scared. I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. God, I'm grieving. God, I, I lost my job. I don't know what to do. God, I just got this diagnosis. God, I'm, I'm going through this huge loss. God, th- this, this pain is all over me. Dear God, I wanted things that I don't have. Father, I, 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 I wanted to get married, or I got married and it didn't work, and God, I, I, I hurt. Tell it to God. And you know what God's going to say? He's not going to say what some parents, some dysfunctional parents say. God's not going to say, stop your whining. He's not going to tell you to stop your crying. God is going to embrace you. He's tender. He's compassionate. He understands how weak we are. He became flesh. He took on human form. He understands our weakness. That's why Jesus, in the very first sermon he ever preached in his hometown, said this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to do that. To get get right in it with the brokenhearted. And that's what Jesus comes to do. So in your pain, while you're walking through that shadow, you need to look at Jesus. You know this, right? I got a shadow right here. I might have a shadow over there too. I don't know. I got a shadow right here. I know that. The only reason that shadow exists is because why? There's a light right there. That's the only reason that shadow exists. This will be counterintuitive when you're walking through the valley of the shadow. It's always counterintuitive to turn your back to the shadow because the shadow's scary. You want to keep your eye on the shadow. That's what kills us. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow, what you've got to do is you've got to turn your back on the shadow and look at the light. In John chapter 8, Jesus said this. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The only way to follow Jesus is to look away from the shadows, to look at at the light, to put your eyes on him. To trust. The The only way that you can turn your back on the shadows in your life... The only way that you can overcome the fear of doing that is you have to trust that the light is good. You have to trust that God is good. You have to believe at the core of your being that God is good. And he has good for you. And he wants to give you life as we started out with in John 10.10. Jesus said, that's why I came, to give you life abundantly. So here's the question. With all the loss that you are experiencing these days, are you trusting that God is good? Because if you do, it'll be easy to turn your back on the shadows in your life. It'll be easy to look to the light, to put your trust in him. Do you trust him? Have you trusted him with your life? Let's pray.
Father, we, we come right now in Jesus' name. We come, God, grateful for the path of grace, the gift, God, of grieving that you have for your people. And mostly we're grateful, God, that our grieving draws us closer to you. That in our grief, not only is there your grace, but there's you, the greatest gift of all. And so, God, we just come today. Because everyone in this building, everyone watching online, has experienced some loss over these last six months. Some have experienced incredible loss. Some maybe not quite as personally incredible. But we've all experienced it. And God, we don't know what to do. And your word calls us today to come to you. To bring our loss and lament it. To cry out to you, oh God. But God, the only way we'll do that, the only way we'll take you at your word is if we trust you. If we trust in, in your goodness, God. And so right now, today, the invitation from God is, Will you trust me? Maybe trust me again. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is your first time back in church after a season of being away. Or maybe it's the second or third time. And what God is calling you to is to trust him again. Maybe you've been hurt at church. Maybe, maybe you've experienced brokenness. Maybe you feel like you've been beaten up by a church. But God is calling you back to Jesus today. Not just to church. That'll come later. But to him. Because he wants to heal your brokenness. Maybe you've never trusted him with your life. And that's the starting point. You will never, ever walk through the valley of the shadow and not look away from the shadow if you don't trust in Jesus. And he's here for you today. And all you've got to do is turn to him and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the only pathway, that only your grace is sufficient to helping me overcome the loss in this life. And not just in this life, but the life to come. Jesus, I believe and I trust that what you did on Calvary's cross is sufficient. I trust that your grace is sufficient because you know my weakness. I trust that. And the Bible says if you will turn, if you will repent, if you'll turn from believing that you can do that another way and put all of your trust in Jesus, call on his name, the Bible says you will be saved. And you can start experiencing the goodness of God. And so we come again today, Father, needing, longing, desiring your goodness to come, your kingdom to come. We need your goodness, Father. We need it poured out over us. So we come. We bring, God, our, our gifts of trust financially. We bring our hearts that are broken. We bring all of ourselves to you, O oh God, and we give them to you. We trust you. We trust in your goodness. Deliver us, we pray. We want to get to that place on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death where we dwell in your presence forever. Thank you for being so good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.